Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Good evening, Rifters. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we're doing 5e books and talk about various rules and haunt your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwike. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwike and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about languages. Nathan, how are languages relevant to Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, languages. So, languages are important because sometimes you're trying to say something and then it sounds like a garbled mess to the other guy. Uh, and then, uh, but he's saying something that's kind of a garbled mess to you. So, language is a garbled mess that you understand. What? what? <laughs> um, sorry, Nathan. What did you just say? I wasn't able to follow that. Um, language is a way <laughs> thing. Yes. Uh, I'm making fun of the thing you just said. Okay. I, I was well aware of that, but I didn't know any way to explain it. <laughs> I was like, okay, let me explain it. Shittily, so, and then it's for like, folks I, at home. Okay, I'm not just an asshole. I am, but not only that. I am simply pointing it out to illustrate, in a mean way, the point that we are trying to just open up with here, which is the fact that Dungeons and Dragons is amazing in that it is an international game. So even before we get into the in-game languages, like I do want to at least mention this point as well. So just to give the, you know, close to home example, Nathan lives in Singapore. I live in the U.S. Two of the other guys on Riftwake live in the U.S. And the last guy is in Wales. So all of us are able to play D&D amongst each other just through the magic of the Internet. Magic. (laughs) Yeah. And that's an awesome thing. But there are times where we'll use a you know an American saying of some sort that Caden and Nathan don't know because it's not one that comes up for them. And sometimes Nathan will say a thing that we might ask for clarification on. And that's 
okay. Like, that is just a thing that may happen at your table, but, you know, we at least do all have the benefit of having English as a primary language amongst all five of us, but that really isn't the case at a lot of D&D tables. There may be many people who don't have English as a first language or people who are multilingual. So that is something that is worth consideration and especially understanding to like keep in mind that there are sayings that don't exist in other languages or that don't translate super great or just references to things that other people don't understand. Like, that is something that, like, I know that Mitch and I are especially bad at, is that we love talking in movie quotes. And so other people at our table are, like, Nathan and Caden especially, are not likely to know the references of the thing we're saying. Remy, what's a movie? My point exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It is a miracle just to find out that Nathan has seen a movie. And that's not something about availability. That's just not something that Nathan was ever just interested in as a child and just never got into movies. But Mitch and I are very much movie people, so that is something that we do tangent and make references to a lot. So is that something that can derail a game? Potentially. So that is the kind of thing, though, where it should be at the very least thought about and preferably discussed so that people who do have that flaw that I myself have do just try to tone it down occasionally for the references to actually just use language and sayings that are more likely to just let the others at the table get the joke. So that will actually let us transition more into the proper topic here of languages in 5th edition D&D. So with that being said, hey Nathan, how many languages are there in 5th edition? Uh, 12. Mm-mm. 20. I don't know. <laughs> 26. For the record, that is definitely not something that I knew offhand, so I did actually need to go on D&D Beyond and pull up the language list to count them. Something that Remy doesn't know. Holy shit. And that's actually kind of the point that I'm trying to make for this episode. There are a lot of languages in D&D And yet, when was the last time you actually had a language barrier come up as a problem in a D&D game? Mm, You're right. Holy shit. Like, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of languages in our world. And there's a reason that interpreters are such a valued profession. Because to have people, especially people with disagreeing you know, opinions and, you know, desire for resources, whatever the conflict is, having a lack of ability to communicate is a major fucking issue. And so having individuals who are able to communicate and translate is a big fucking deal. And yet it seems that just the more time that has passed in D&D, the less that that actually comes up. Because most dungeon masters just don't want to take the time or effort or whatever their reasoning is, honestly. I don't know fully. But people don't generally want to complicate D&D more by using a language barrier. Which really just 
isn't how a world would actually work. So they try to just hand wave this away by saying that damn near everyone knows comp. And I'll be honest, I kind of hate that. I hate that a lot. Like, I can understand that if you're living in, like, some kind of big city, that everyone in the city would know common, if that is the common language of the place. But the idea that every single dwarf knows common and dwarvish, every elf knows, you know, common and elvish, even if they haven't left their home for 200 years and have never met someone who isn't their race, and yet they're able to speak that language with perfect fluency? Right. That, that doesn't follow logic. And as we all know by now, I love me some logic. So this is something that I actually do like, is the new rules that got introduced in Toshter's Cauldron of Everything. So they do have just a very small section on languages, but with significant implications. So this is under the new character options, you know, customization. Languages. Your character's race includes languages that your character is assumed to know, usually common and the language of your ancestors. For example, a halfling adventurer is, no is assumed to know common and a halfling. Here's the thing. D&D adventurers are extraordinary, and your character might have grown up speaking languages different than the ones in your language's trait. To customize the languages you know, you may replace each language in your language's trait with a language from the following list. And then it goes on to list most of the more common languages. Your DM may add or remove languages from the list depending on what languages are appropriate for your campaign. See, I like the idea of that, but it doesn't go far enough. Because it is assuming that adventurers specifically might know other languages. If anything, I would say it's more likely the other way around, that adventurers are more likely to know common because they're, they're planning to travel. I, and so okay. you'd expect to learn the language of the place you're going to. I remember what I was going to say. Uh, so oh, go for it. The only way that you can get it, more people to know the same language, and I like how uh, they, they incentivize this, um, is by having this great power that conquers everything and forces everyone to learn a singular language. I actually like that idea. So... Because it's a very, like, if you think about it, that's why. It's a very human kind of thing to have happened. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. That's how it, how it works in real life. Uh, isn't yeah. It? That's why most, a lot of people know English. Because um, guess who fucking <laughs> ran their way across the world conquering, eh? <laughs> la, 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 I can't hear you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, the thing is, I like the idea of using both of the aspects that we just talked about. So you have kind of the main continent or kind of central area where the campaign starts, have that in place. So have it be that, like, you might just not even have it come up until, you know, a good few levels into the campaign, and then it just kind of comes up, you can introduce it just through some historical tidbit of, like, yeah, the reason that everyone speaks common here is that there was this just ancient or even maybe even recent-ish empire that did just conquer all of the surrounding territory and forced 
common to be the common language. And that's kind of cool. And then that also gives you the option for, as things spread out, for common to not be completely spread for the area outside of that former kingdom. Because you, you have the option that dwarves from farther away don't know common. And then you only have, you know, your dwarf barbarian, who may not be the most persuasive individual, have to be the one to take point because they're that's the only fun. one in the party that speaks dwarfish. On that note, that's one example of how you can possibly make uh, language interesting. But what, what else, like what other ways are there to create those moments? So... I actually had one come up in my own campaign years ago by accident, which was the fact that, like, I have planned out in my world all of the places where there are just, like, abandoned tombs, you know, things left behind, evils buried, like, all those types of things. And so I just have notes ahead of time for, like, what the plan is for each of them. And so I had one that my players, you know, came across. The thing is, though, the front door had a massive etch written on it in the draconic language. And it just so happened that no one in the party spoke draconic, which is really unfortunate because the etch said plainly spelled out, but just in draconic, <laughs> lich within. It's like danger ahead. And then everyone's like, yes. What's this? <laughs> Yes, it was exactly that. There was, they just saw these like foot-tall letter, letters carved into the door, but none of them could read what it said or had any way to translate it handy. It's so like, they were just like, oh, well, whatever. You know, probably welcome. Seal, enter the tomb. <laughs> and like, what's the funniest part is that I didn't plan for that to be a problem. I wrote that before the current characters were ever made. It just wasn't a consideration at the time. It's just the people who made the tomb just chose to use Draconic as language because it was a magical adversary. And in my world, Draconic is the language used for most magic, like for written magic stuff. So of course it would be written in Draconic that there is a magical evil. You would have a magical written warning. But it just so happened that we had like a barbarian and a druid. I don't remember the full party composition, but no one knew Draconic. So they had no idea what the warning said. And they just wandered into a lich's tomb that had a warning, but without them being able to know it. And that remains honestly just one of my favorite just D&D moments that I've ever had, just because of just the conversation that my party and I had of the fact that that was not something that I had planned on them not being able to know. And that's the kind of thing that, in all honesty, should be able to be planned for by a dungeon master for them to, like, make a specific choice. Like, yeah, it would make sense if there is an, some kind of, you know, powerful adversary that can't be killed that was successfully sealed away, then yeah, you should have a written warning on that. Like, we make the joke a lot of the time of, like, having on a map, you know, here be dragons to warn, don't go to that spot. But in an actual fantasy world, that'd be the smart fucking thing to do. Like, an actual, like, adventurer's map of D&D should have all kinds of notations on it of, like, oh yeah, like, this adventuring oh. party 60 years ago found and already looted a tomb that's located here. 
So that might be a good spot to spend the night since we know that there's nothing of value there anymore. I... Or, oh yeah, there's this spot that's sealed, but uh, the, you know, the Wizard Academy is planning to send an expedition there uh, next year, but no one has actually opened it up yet. Or like, here is a spot where there's a dragon that is like known to be in a cave right here. So let's just make sure we don't, you know, go that way. Or like something like, oh, this path. Um, actually, every single person that has gone down that path, uh, it's a dead zone. I don't know why nobody ever comes yeah. back. Yeah. So it'll take you an extra couple of days to go, over. and especially like in a high magic world where that kind of stuff is like relatively common. Like it'd be interesting to think about the, just the attitude that people take two such things oh like, holy shit a man. lot of the time it's depicted as like oh no terrible things ah but like you'd think in a place where that happens literally all the time that you would just have a populace that just gets used to that and just kind of gets used to adventures that deal with that kind of annoying weird shit no like, like i was thinking more along the lines of like Holy shit, can you imagine playing in a, a adventure in a game where you need to carefully plan your routes? Yeah. That's and fun. Like, honestly, you should have to do that in D&D. Like, honestly, just talking more about travel is something that has been on the list forever, but it's just so big a topic that we just haven't gotten to it yet. But it is on the list. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. But, yeah, like, okay, so I'm about to do the thing that I did just warn at the beginning that I'm, I do too much and I'm bad at, but there's an Amazon show out now called Invincible that does a really good job of this, of just, like, describing the casual person's attitude to danger. So, like, the very opening scene of the first episode is just, like, Super villains attacking the White House. Oh no, you know, the president is in danger. But then, like, after everything is resolved, you just see a woman at home and she's just so casual about it when talking to her son. It's like, oh, please, they have to rebuild that place twice a year. I doubt the president even lives there anymore. And, like, I really like the attitude that that is able to convey of just, like, the casualness of just living in a dangerous world. So, like, that show actually has did a really good job of just showing just different attitudes to, like, superpowered danger, which can very much be applied to D&D. Just the idea of, like, okay, if you do have, like, rich, noble person who has a lot of valuable goods to transport, like, you need to assume that people in your world shouldn't always carry the idiot ball. 
Like, if you have thousands of gold worth of goods and you're just traveling with maybe like two hired guards along like a four week journey, that's a bad fucking plan. The smarter thing to do would to either just wait until there's an actual caravan with a massive number of people, have a bag of holding to actually transport your goods in so that it's not readily apparent that you're an easy mark. Like there are multiple, or just, I mean, fuck, if you have a high enough magic world, just pay for the goddamn teleportation if you can afford it. But like the idea of there being merchants traveling with massively valuable cargoes is absurd unless they're actually trying to bait a trap of some kind. But just, anyway, uh, uh, we're supposed to be talking languages. I'm sorry, we started talking about travel-related things just because uh, it was on the mind. Uh, that's a tangent. <laughs> we do that way too much. But anyway, yes, languages. So, okay, so we do talk about, or I mentioned just a moment ago, that there are 26 languages that exist. Just for funsies, I'm curious, Nathan, how many can you name? Just go. Uh, common, um, Dwarvish, mm-hmm. Elvish, mm-hmm. Draconic, Orcish, mm-hmm. Giantish. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I'll give it to you. But... <laughs> giantish. Um, gnomish. Ha- yes. Uh, wh- uh ha- halfling. Uh, yes. Uh, abyssal. Good. Um, under common. I can't think of anything. Just, I'll give know. you. I'll give you one hint, just to give you one more. You should get. Sure. You mentioned abyssal. What's the other version, or the holy other side? Holy shit! Um, holy shit! Uh, let's see. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's the word though? Abyssal. Is... Oh right. <laughs> you did not remember that. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> and okay, so. You named 10 of the 26. Holy shit, that's another one. <laughs> that's honestly better than I expected. So, honestly, well done. Hey. That's not bad at all. But that still leaves the point, though. That's less than half of the canonical languages in 5th edition. That's just, like, in the 5th edition. So, that kind of proves the point that languages are pretty underutilized if a multi-year DM cannot even name half uh, of them. Remy, it just um, doesn't come I'm up. I'm a special case, though. <laughs> you gotta remember. But that's the thing, though. You honestly did better than I expected you to. Uh, I mean, you got, you know, giant-ish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, you actually did pretty good. Like, you got a couple of the more obscure ones, even. Like, not hey. all of them, and that's honestly expected. But that's Again, part of the point that I'm trying to make here. Like, there are quite a few languages here that I would say don't need to even exist just because they're not worth it, <laughs> just for the effort of trying to keep track of. So, for example, hey, Nathan, what's Leonin or Loxodon? Uh, uh, uh <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, lion people and elephant people have their own languages. What's a lion person and what's an elephant? Leonin and Loxodon, the two things that I just said. Right. What he said. <laughs> and yeah, like those are languages that exist in the game, but come on. I'm not going to have a lot of documents that are just written in Loxodon. Like, that's almost like a, the DM giving you the middle finger. Like, hey, fuck like, you. 
<laughs> if I want to have like sl- more obscure written things, then I'll have it be in like draconic or deep speech. That would make sense. Maybe primordial if I'm feeling frisky. But the point is, there are more languages on this list than you need to have in your world. And so that is the first step that I would say is just shorten the list of what languages actually exist in your game, in your world. Because honestly, there there's just too many. Like if you really want to, then just like if you want to have, you know, Leonin and Loxodon in your world, then just let them speak common and then just one other language of their choice. Like maybe, you know, the Leonin you know, because they are travelers of the plains, if you're going to, like, lean into the lion side of things, like, maybe they have a friendly relationship with local orcs, so then you have them speak common and orcish. And then that's kind of neat, and then that kind of sets up potential future interactions. Like, maybe you have your party that runs into, you know, a bunch of orcs far away from their home, and then, like, they're like, wait, 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 why are you guys so quick to attack? Like, these are my buddies, the orcs. Like, let's see if we can talk this out. And then you can see if you can actually talk out or if it is something where they just become disappointed by like the, you know, distant cousins of their friends. And either way, that creates a more interesting story because of the fact that that language alone can create a new story opportunity to have a different interaction with something that is usual just an XP pinata. XP pinata. <laughs> Shush. But either way, like, the language that an individual speaks should have some amount of influence on just how they choose to interact. Because again, if they speak other languages, that means that at some point in their life, that player took effort to learn that language. And that should be a story beat. Why did they choose that language to learn? What events in their history had them choose to learn a language like is it a situation of like there was just like i don't know maybe they grew up in a city that also had a pretty high gnomish population so they picked up that language just as part of growing up there so then you have like a dwarf pc who knows like common and gnomish you know in addition to dwarvish like or maybe they don't speak dwarvish at all because they were just raised in a city and like that's why i really like that new tasha's rule because of the fact that you can just choose the languages based on the environment that the character grew up in i just think that that makes for better storytelling and just better story beats because again like languages are a massive part of culture people's language that is the words that people use to describe themselves in the world like poetry speeches plays all of that it's words is what we use to interpret thoughts and life. So it, it should be used, damn it. <laughs> so the other thing, though, that I do want to point out, like just something that is kind of silly, most, you know, people on Earth, like, aren't necessarily great when it comes to being, like, bilingual or multilingual. In D&D, on the other hand, it is actually almost surprisingly easy. So. I'm curious, just Nathan, depending on just the build that a person has, how many languages do you think a character is able to know at first level? 
I mean, if I'm not wrong, if you go all out, I think you can get like seven. Yeah, sounds about right. Sage, and then you take the right. Uh, yeah, because a background can give you two. Then you might have two or potentially even three from your race. And then, you know, or on the other hand, you could also just go variant human and pick the linguist feat to get three languages that way. So, like, it's easy to have four or more languages at level one. And that's even before you get into, you know, subclasses and, you know, other way, you know, other feats just as someone levels up. I'm not sure if someone did just take linguist over and over, just get damn near all the languages. I know all. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, if you think about it from a diplomatic perspective, that'd be kind of interesting. Imagine if there is just like a character who does just purposely pick up just a bunch of languages and just like they're a charisma based character and their whole shtick is like they are, you know, excellent diplomat and their whole shtick is that they'll always conduct, you know, the negotiation in the native language of the people he's trying to negotiate with. Like, that'd be a kind of cool thing for a person to do. And also just, like, a nice just kind of message that, like, yes, I respect you and your people, and so I'm trying to just bargain with you in your own language. Like, that's a good touch to just that kind of story. And yet again, when was the last time you ever saw anyone would actually do any of fucking that? Never. Never! And it drives me insane. Because again, there are 26 languages. There is more to D&D than just common. And I beg of you, make use of languages and interactions because of languages more in your worlds. So... One other important thing to keep in mind is that D&D is a world of magic. So one thing that does actually irk me a bit also is that pretty much all the magic that exists makes it really, really easy for people to communicate to avoid all of the potential drama and interesting interactions that we've been talking about. Comprehend languages is a fucking first level spell that is able to be ritual cast and it is not concentration and lasts for one hour once that ritual has been cast so for the duration you understand the literal meaning of any spoken language you hear you also understand any written language that you see but you must be touching the surface on which the words are written takes about one minute to read one page of text uh does not decode secret messages or arcane sigils yada yada so, okay, so that makes it extraordinarily easier to avoid all of the interesting bits. Which, again, irks me more than a little. Like, that is a spell that just takes away a lot of the kind of fun potential options. On the bright side, when was the last time you actually knew a character to take the Comprehend Languages spell? Not, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Because of the fact that DMs so rarely use languages, a lot of people actually forget that that spell even exists. So honestly, as a DM, I would not bring that up unless the player themselves remembered it or looked it up. But that's partially just me being a bit of a dick. Unfortunately, it gets even easier. Because there's also an uncommon magic item, Helm of Comprehending Languages does not even require attunement. 
uncommon. So it's a relatively potentially accessible item. And guess what that magic item does? Helps you with great ease comprehend languages. It does, in fact. So with your vast knowledge of uh, how usable magic items are, Mm -hmm. uh, how many uses do you think you can get out of this thing in a day? Keeping Uh, in mind that each cast lasts for an hour. Either three or ten. Infinity! It's This is a goddamn magic item that has no use of charges. While wearing this helm, you can use an action to cast the Comprehend Languages spell from it at will. Infinitum. Period. End of description. Are you kidding me? An uncommon magic item that just forever and permanently makes it so you don't even need to know the goddamn spell. You know, um, sometimes you just need some verbal lubricant. Uh, perhaps. No, just give them alcohol. That's the only social lubricant <laughs> diplomats should get. But, god like, normally, I am all for magic that makes things easier. The thing is, usually, I think that a magical solution is more interesting. This is not one of those cases in my admittedly biased-as-hell opinion. I hate how much this simplifies and just eliminates so much of the stuff that we talked about at the beginning of this. Kind of makes it boring. (laughs) The only kind of saving grace to the spell and the magic item is that it only does the literal meaning of the spoken language. So it's a lot like what happens when Mitch and I try talking to Nathan and use references. You lose a lot of the context, but even so, it's still usually enough to get by. So unless someone just rolls garbage on their persuasion check, they're still probably going to be able to get the job done. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwakepodcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to a monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Rifts and Rules topics. Find us on social media on Twitter at Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast, and you can send us an email. Riffs and rules at gmail.com. That's riffs A and D rules at gmail.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.